We'll be reading several verses this morning. Because we're going to finish our sort of mini-series. It didn't start that way, but it ended up that way on promise and inheritance. As you'll recall, several weeks ago now, I taught on patience and what it meant to be patient in your promise, patient for your inheritance. And uh, that just sprung several things in my spirit that I wanted to share with you because we are a promised people if we're in him. Amen? We've got promises in God. We've got promises that he has absolutely codified within his word that are immutable. He has sworn them into existence by his own blood and by his own life, which means that they are sure uh, that you can count on them. He has made other promises prophetically, put promises in your heart through prayer, through vision. And we need to understand how it is that God brings these promises and these inheritances to pass in our life. Think, I want you to bring it up right now. What are you promised in God right now? Some of you have been waiting for a promised healing. Some of you have been waiting for a promised career, a promised job. Some of you know that God has promised you some things in the area of resource or relationship. There are all sorts of areas of promise that, that we could begin to put out there. Promise of ministry, promise of influence. All sorts of promises. But we need to understand that just because God promised something doesn't leave us sort of off the hook and we don't have a responsibility somehow or another to cooperate with him with regards to those promises. And so we started talking in this area with the concept of patience and being patient with God and understanding his timing. We talked about what it meant to possess a promise and how sometimes we wait on God and be patient, but then there are other times we need to rise up and seize what's in front of us. We talked about how the kingdom is full of paradoxes. And your promise doesn't come always by a way that you think it ought to come. That God will do things and, 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 and create scenarios that look almost the exact opposite of what you would think he would do in order to bring you to the place where your promise comes to pass. And then last week we talked about pregnancy and promise. About how promise was like giving birth. And that you have to understand what takes place in the birth process in uh, understanding how God brings to pass your promises in your life. Well, today we're going to finish it up and we'll start something new when we get back from vacation. But today we're going to teach just for a few minutes on what I've entitled piracy and your promise. Piracy and your promise. You know, I know a lot of messages have been taught by other people through the years about the promises of God. A lot of things, I'm sure, were reminders, important reminders to you. But as I was seeking the Lord, I wanted to be stirred with regards to something new. Is there anything we're missing, Lord? Is there something we've not laid hold of like we should have? And, and so this week, the Lord began to unveil something to me that uh, I hadn't quite seen before. I'd call it revelation. And so I really want you to zero in. The first part of what I share this morning, I think you'll make quick connections and you'll understand it. But uh, the second half of this morning, I really believe is revelational if you'll get a hold of this. It really has spoke something into me that's really been helpful by way of promise. And the best way I can communicate it is by giving you the imagery of pirates. Pirates. You know, pirates are making a comeback. 
you know, uh, we aren't going to debate what movie you ought to go see or not go see, but you know, there's been this trilogy concerning Pirates of the Caribbean. And if you go to Disney World or Disneyland, they have a ride that that movie was actually created from called Pirates of the Caribbean. Um, TV, I was noticing the other day, never watched it, don't know what it's about. It's some reality show, kind of like Survivor, but it's called Pirate Master. And I guess they've thrown all these people on a ship and they get to play pirate. And they cut somebody loose every week. I don't know the rules, I don't know much about it, but I just noticed that, that you know, pirates are the new theme apparently. In fact, I was even watching a trailer at a movie here recently, and they said that they've got a new Veggie Tale. All the kids will be interested in this. There's a new Veggie Tale movie coming out, and it's it's called The Pirates Who Don't Do Anything. So <laughs> that's one of our favorite songs in the original uh, Veggie Tale movie. But now there's a new movie, The Pirates Who Don't Do Anything, and and that's not even to mention here in Charleston, being a port city. How, if you study our history, we have a whole history. Of piracy. And whenever you think of a pirate or piracy, and if you were to define it, you'd probably have an image of a 17th or 18th century kind of greasy, long haired, you know, cruddily dressed uh, uh, seamen on a ship that they had commandeered who are going about the Caribbean perhaps. Uh, hijacking other ships in order to steal the commerce that is taking place. I guess you would define a pirate as a robber at sea. Um, they're still around today. Many people don't know that. There are still pirates around today. They're, they're far more high-tech, modern ships, but there are still pirates that, that comb the seas even to this day. But if you, if you look at the word piracy and you begin to see how it's defined and how people use it, you'll find that, that piracy is also used in order to illustrate or underscore several other things that most of us uh, hopefully aren't involved in but may be aware of. For instance, if you were to download music from the Internet illegally or inappropriately, that could be called piracy. You're pirating that particular music. I can remember being in Russia years ago, and uh, it was right when the fall of communism had taken place and capitalism was trying to get its foothold in there. They created these kiosks on every corner. And they would sell anything and everything from these kiosks. And you could actually buy, at that time, of course, there was no uh, DVD. It was, everything was um, uh, VHS. But you could buy one of those, uh, a tape from that kiosk, and you could actually buy American movies, which you say, well, what's the big deal about that? You could buy them before they actually came out in America. Somebody had pirated them or hijacked those copies somehow or another and they began selling them or they got to early showings and they actually brought, you know, a VHS camera in there with them, if you can believe this, that there are people that actually go to movie theaters with VHS cameras and they actually record the movie that way in order to sell what we would call a bootleg copy. So there's all sorts of ways you can begin to define Piracy. If you were to hijack an airplane, the technical term is air piracy. So if we were to define it, I'd define it like this. It's taking something that is not legally or rightfully yours. Or it's hijacking a vessel and its contents by unlawful means. Taking something that is not legally or rightfully yours or hijacking a vessel and its contents by unlawful means. 
Now, I give you that imagery to get that in your mind in order to say to you that the truth of the matter is if Satan cannot keep you out of the kingdom of God, if he cannot keep you out of a relationship with the Lord, his next tactic is piracy. Piracy. He wants to hijack some things that are rightfully yours and that he has no business with. He wants to hijack your rights as a child of God. He wants to hijack your promise as a child of God. He wants to hijack your inheritance. Now, if you don't believe that, let me just read to you a familiar verse and let's just make sure we're hearing it like it was said by Jesus himself. In John 10.10, everybody should be able to quote this almost by memory. It says, the thief, meaning the enemy, the thief does not come except to steal and to kill and to destroy. Jesus says that I have come that they may have life and that they may have it more abundantly. So the thief comes and he's out to steal something. Now, have you ever asked yourself the question, what is it he's trying to steal? Well, your promise, your inheritance, that which God has for you. And I understand that this verse is familiar, but I want to use it to leap from it to help you see something that's very, very important. You need to understand that the enemy, Satan himself and all of his underlings, his cohorts, are the ones who are endeavoring to stop you from all the good things that God has for you. The reason I say that is because of this phrase, God is not your problem. I've heard people say that, the Lord's my problem. The Lord's not your problem. The Lord's your help. Your problem is the enemy and all of his cohorts. He is the pirate. He is the one that uses people. Sometimes he uses people unknowingly. Sometimes those folks are fully aware of what they're doing. But nonetheless, it is the enemy who is behind the scenes in his piracy scheme trying to hijack and steal that which is rightfully yours. And it is clear that Jesus has more for you in life. The Bible says here that the the Lord comes in order that you might have life, but he goes on and says that you might have it more abundantly. Now, those of you that read out of the same version of the scripture that I'm using uh, will find those word wealths in there. And you can begin to see that that word abundantly means excessive surplus, over and above, more than enough, extraordinary, more than sufficient. Are you getting the picture? That's what abundance means. The Lord didn't come in order that you could just barely make it, just kind of get by, just sort of scrape your way through. That's not what the Lord says. The Lord says, I've come that you might have life And that more abundantly. It's the enemy who comes to steal, to kill, and to destroy. But truth is that a lot of people never experience abundancy because about the time they set sail for a promise, about the time they set sail for God's plan, what happens is they meet pirates. And about the time you meet a pirate, all sorts of things begin to happen. And if you don't know how to handle that moment, you get hijacked. And they end up, those folks that started sailing for something great, sailing for this abundancy, sailing for this more than enough life, what ends up happening is they end up turning around and sailing back to the very place they started with, with a whole lot less than they took off the first time. Are you with me? 
Now, I won't ask if that's your life, but that's just about everybody's life at some point or another. You started out with a whole lot going a direction, and then suddenly the pirates came, hijacked you, and you went back to square one with a whole lot less than you even started with the first time. You've got to understand what pirates do, how they do it, and how you can get that thing stopped in your life. They basically, pirates, have four weapons to hijack a promise. Four basic weapons. I'm going to go through this real quick. The first one we'll call intimidation. If you want to define intimidation, it's this. I'll scare you. Intimidation is the spirit of fear. When a pirate comes along, he tries to get you to fear anything and everything. To scare you away from serving God. To try to tell you that somehow God's a taker and he's going to take all this stuff from you and you'll never have anything. And it's, it's used to get you to yield or to step out of your God-given authority as a believer. Intimidation. We fear what could be around the next corner. We fear what might happen if we were to do this. And that's what a pirate does. A lot of people never set sail because they say, if I set sail, there's pirates out there. So the safe thing to do is just never get on the ocean. Well, you've been intimidated. And you need to break that. I'll scare you. Number two, the second basic weapon is speculation. I call speculation, I'll worry you. I'll worry you. They'll put all kinds of scenarios in your mind. Now, this could be the enemy himself. It could be any one of his underlings. But they'll put all these scenarios. And and what do you mean by that, Pastor? I mean this. How many of you have ever gone through the what-ifs? Now, if I do this, what if? Now, if I, if I go this direction, what if? What, what if there's a trap door? What if this doesn't work out? What if someone isn't there to meet me? What if? What if? What, and we worry, what if, what, if, what if the economy goes bad? What if, you know, what if the money's not there? What if? And the enemy will put those speculations in our system, and what he gets us to do is he gets us to just stay right where we are. Because the what-ifs, the speculations, begin to shut us down. The enemy knows that if he can create a scenario in your mind that your mind is more real to you than God's word, and he knows that if he can put a scenario in your mind, he's basically got most believers. Because they've granted more authority to the speculation than they do even to the word of God. And that's how he does it. The third basic weapon is what we'll call manipulation. Manipulation is I'll trick you. Now, now remember, sometimes the enemy does this and he can just do this by way of spiritual happening and impression. Sometimes he'll bring people into your life that will use these methods in order to shut you down with regards to the promise and abundancy that God has for you. Manipulation is one of them. This is an orchestration by words or by creating certain events where you are led to a decision you may not normally have made by unrighteous means. Let me give you an example. I'll just give you kind of an everyday example. I can remember a couple times in my life, I've gone in. These were a lot of early years, back when I was probably in my 20s. But but it was time to to get a vehicle. I needed to get a, a, a car, a vehicle. And so you would go in, you would sit down with a salesman, and not all salesmen are unrighteous. There are righteous car salesmen. But, but, but if you hear about them, let me know. I'd like to know. But there are righteous ones. I know there are. I know there are. But there are unrighteous ones, just like there are righteous doctors and unrighteous doctors and righteous pastors and unrighteous pastors. I understand. 
But I can remember on a couple of occasions sitting down, really not knowing what much of what I was doing and, 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 and going through that whole sales process. And, and as you're moving through this sales process, being led to a decision that maybe you wouldn't have made if, if you would have had time to think about it or you had all the information or you weren't twisted around or whatever the case may be. But you know you were manipulated at that moment to come to this place to where, to where you just you said yes or no or whatever it is you said. But it wasn't because that's what you wanted to say. You were tricked into making that particular decision. That happens a lot. Manipulation. People doing something in order to, to create the scenario or twist the words or bringing you to a place where, where you make a decision that really you wouldn't have made if you would have had time to think about it, pray about it, or whatever the case may be. But that's one of the enemy's tools. And then finally, number four, which is the most severe one, we'll call domination. And that is if, if, if the pirate can't, can't scare you, if they can't worry you, if they can't trick you, then what do they do? They board the ship and they force you. They force you. Literally, you are forced under threat to do what someone else wants you to do. It's the picture, if you can imagine, of the robber who puts the gun to your head and, or the knife to your throat and they, they take you to the ATM and they make you, you know, uh, take out all your money in order that you can give it to them. You, you are literally forced to do this particular thing. And, and not all pirates use guns in order to force us to do things. Some pirates use threats about your past. If you do this, I'll tell everybody about what you were involved in. If you do this, I'll, uh, I'll threaten your position. You won't, you won't work here. You won't be able to have a job. Or They'll, they'll threaten you somehow and, and, and out of that force you to do that. Now, if you look through the Bible, I, I can't give you every scenario because I started looking. There were so many of them that I thought to myself, we could be here all morning illustrating out of the scriptures... Biblical characters who faced their pirates and ultimately attempting to get them to move out of the plan of God. I'll give you just a couple just so you can begin to picture it. How many of you know I use Joseph a lot? Joseph and his whole scenario about getting to Egypt and eventually becoming number two in all of Egypt. Well, we know what the plan of God was. God gave him a picture as a young man of his influence by way of a veiled dream, a veiled vision. But Joseph had some pirates in his life, and some of those pirates were called brothers. And, and they were the ones that, that began to exercise uh, one of these particular weapons in order, in their mind, to get rid of them, to get him off course, to detour him. And all along the way, we find Joseph meeting certain people who were trying to hijack or get him off course, detoured with regards to what the promise of God was in his life. If it wasn't his brothers, it was, it was an unrighteous woman. If it wasn't Potiphar's wife, it became the, the baker and the butler that he met in prison. And you know the stories, many of you, of how these people came and they're always try, doing something out of kilter, trying to keep him away from ultimately getting to the promise of God. And he had to learn how to deal with that. How many of you know that the children of Israel had a promise, they had a land... They sent in spies, you know the story, 12 spies, 10 of them come back and they became pirates. Because their report was, we're intimidated. And, and we have good reason to be intimidated. And so we'll just confess intimidation and we'll just establish it in the congregation of Israel. And, and so God had to let a whole generation die off and only Caleb and Joshua 
were remaining of the original generation in order to go in because they understood how to deal with a pirate in their life. Nehemiah, as he was rebuilding the wall, he had pirates come to him. Two of them were called Sanballat and Tobiah. They would stand around and they would chirp about what was going on and try to bring discouragement and and they tried to intimidate and they tried to coerce and throw out speculations and all kinds of things. On and on we could go. David and Saul was another one. Saul was one of the worst pirates. He started out so good and then he ends up becoming a pirate. And he ends up intimidating and dominating and manipulating David as he was, as he was thrown out of Jerusalem and had to go to the caves of Adullam. And there through Adullam and then eventually Hebron. He has to learn how to deal with these issues that come by way of interacting with pirates. I, I mean, can I just ask you, anybody dealt with a pirate but me? I mean, has, have any of you dealt with some pirates in your life? I mean, I think that would be across the board. Everybody's lot at some different time or another. Well, how do you deal with pirates? Well, let me go to Matthew chapter 4 real quick and um, turn over there. And again, I'm going to move through this fairly rapidly because I want to show you how to deal with them. But more than that, the bigger question is this, and I'll get to it in just a moment. It's not just how do you deal with a pirate, but the bigger question is if, if you've been hijacked, if a pirate has hijacked you and, and you feel like your promise has been stolen in some area of your life, some aspect of your future has been stolen. The bigger question is, well, if I've been hijacked in this particular area, how do I get what's been hijacked back? Now, now I'm going to teach you here real quick about what you do when you face a pirate because the best, the best defense is a great offense. Amen. So when a pirate comes your way, you need to understand what you need to do so you never get hijacked any, you know, to begin with. But the question is, if you've been hijacked, then, then what do I do after that? And I've got an answer to that. I think that'll, that'll help you a lot. But here we find in Matthew chapter 4, Jesus in the wilderness with the greatest pirate of him, them all, the pirate master, Satan himself. And they're in this conversation that's taking place. And I'm not going to read the whole thing. Most of you are aware of the story. He's been fasting for 40 days, praying for 40 days. The enemy shows up and the enemy tries to get Jesus detoured from what the the plan, the purpose, and the promise of God was in his life. So the enemy knows kind of what's going on. He knows who Jesus is. He's going to do his best to get him off track with regards to what it is that God wants to do in his life. And we find just some pretty good precept here from Jesus who's modeling for us how to navigate life successfully, how to deal with the enemy successfully. And he shares just several things as you go through this. Remember, the enemy comes and says, you know, turn the stones to bread, and the Lord has a response for him. Then the enemy takes him up and sets him on the pinnacle of the temple and says, hey, jump off the temple because the Bible says if you do that, the angels will tend to you. And Jesus gave a response to that. And then finally he says, if you'll worship me and bow down, he said, I'll give you everything that you've ever longed for. And the Lord, you know, finally deals with Satan and and, and Satan runs off. But let's, let's just get these things real quick. I, I believe you'll get this real fast as I go through this. Number one, in dealing with a pirate, when a pirate shows up, you got to, number one, realize who you're dealing with. You've heard me say this before. We battle not with flesh and blood, but with powers and principalities, world forces of darkness, spiritual wickedness in high places. I know people come being used of the enemy. And that's how the enemy does things. He uses people. 
And again, sometimes they know what they're doing, sometimes they don't. But you need to understand that your problem really isn't the person as much as the spirit that's controlling or influencing that person as it comes to your life. Are you with me? You can't deal with something in the natural when there's a spiritual root to it. So you've got to understand who you're dealing with. And you need to understand if it's the enemy, deal with it spiritually. Deal with it in a way that, uh, that approaches the enemy. I, 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 I'll just give you an example. Somebody comes up to you and they're trying to dominate you or manipulate you. And, of course, that can irritate you. And, and, and you could haul off and you could just knock them, just <coughs> knock them silly. Well, you may feel better, but you didn't knock the enemy out. In fact, you may go to jail for that. So you've got to understand that that there may be a person who's being used, but the person is not the problem. You've got to understand who you're dealing with. So so you've got to have sort of two sets of eyes looking at situations and understand what's going on in front of you behind the scenes. Number two, it's interesting that as Jesus dealt with the enemy, he had to receive what we call a rhema word. In other words... God began to quicken to him passages and scripture that Jesus could stand on. So when the enemy came twisting things and turning things and trying to confuse and get him detoured, Jesus had something that had been enlivened in his heart, enlivened in his spirit, that he was able to look at the enemy and say, no, this is what God hath written and this is what gets applied in this situation. So he had a rhema word. We call that rhema when it's sort of an enlivened, lit up word inside of you. And you've got to realize that if you're going to deal with the enemy, you're going to have to get a hold of what's written in the book and what God puts in your heart. And you're going to have to lay hold of that, receive that. You've got to have something to stand on. You've got to get one of those I know that I know that I know things in you. And once you get that in you, you can stand and use that, Paul said in Ephesians, as a sword of the Spirit against the enemy himself. Number three, you've got to speak that word out loud. Everyone say out loud. You can't think it. You can't just muse upon it. You've got to learn how to speak things out loud. We've got to pray out loud. We've got to confess out loud. You've got to say it. Saying it puts substance on it. You just can't think it. You must say it. And so when you're dealing with the enemy, you just can't think that you're dealing with the enemy. You must speak that thing. You must begin to speak the promise of God. Speak the word of the Lord. Speak binding and loosing. You've got to speak speak that thing in order that, that substance can come. And if you'll begin to do that, God will do some great things. Number four, you've got to refuse to negotiate with a pirate. One of my favorite scenes in that first Pirates of the Caribbean movie, one of my favorite scenes was when they're ever, whenever they're capturing somebody, they learned after a while to use the term parlay, which is a French word. And the word parlay means negotiate. And so before they could kill you or do whatever they were going to do with you, if you would yell parlay, it was part of the pirate code that they'd have to go negotiate with the captain of the pirates in order to work through whatever it is they were going to do with you. And so everybody, before they were killed, would say parlay. Don't do that. Don't negotiate with the enemy. He is a liar. Are you with me? Which means whatever he says to you, don't believe it. Because they aren't going to keep their word. 
So you have authority to rise up and you don't have to negotiate. That's what God said to the children of Israel when they went into the land. He said, don't go into the land and make treaties with them. Don't go into the land and try to negotiate your way through there. He says, go through the land. And this is what God says. He says, and show them no mercy. And so we've got to understand dealing with the enemy in a spiritual sense, we cannot negotiate with that. And so don't negotiate with the pirate. Don't negotiate with the enemy. But stand in what God has promised and has purposed you to do and be. And finally, number five, this is what Jesus did. He ran the enemy off. You know, the Bible says this, that if you'll resist the devil, what? One more time. If you resist the devil, he will. He will. That's the greatest weapon you've got is resistance. Just resist him. If you'll resist the enemy, he will flee. You can run him off. And you need to begin to run those thoughts off, run those speculations off, run those intimidating things off. You need to run that off. And let me tell you, if people, if if the, the manifested expression of that isn't getting it, then run that off. Because if they don't want to be free or they don't get it, then you've got to be, you've got to be on with the will of God and you've got to be on with the purposes of God. But the question is, what do I do if the enemy has already hijacked me? Okay, pastor, I can do these things and I will do these things, but man, I'm starting to think I've lost some stuff. The enemy has stolen stuff from me. The enemy has taken stuff from me. The enemy has detoured me. The enemy has done some things to me. And I mean, are they just lost forever or do I just start over or is there any recourse to what's taken place in my life? And I started asking sort of myself and then I was asking the Lord these same questions. And he began to remind me of some things that that I sort of had a little revelation on, but he opened it up in a whole lot greater way here just this week. So, so maybe get your pencil out and take a couple notes because I think this is going to help you. This is what you do. If, if you feel like you've been hijacked or stolen from, write this down. You need to place a judgment or you need to place a lien on the enemy, his house. Now let me, let me read to you a passage here. And um, we'll go from there. Proverbs chapter 6. This is underlined. You can see in my Bible, I've underlined it, put exclamation points and all sorts of things. Proverbs 6, verse 30. Says this, people do not despise a thief if he steals to satisfy himself when he's starving. Verse 31, it says this, yet when he is found, meaning the thief, when he is found, he must, what? How much? He must restore, when the thief is found, he must restore sevenfold. He may have to give up all the substance of his house. That's a really fascinating passage. Some of you in here this morning have been hijacked. You've been hijacked by the enemy in regards to your promise, your future. Maybe some prophetic word that... The Lord spoke over you sometime in your life and it seems like things got all out of kilter and out of whack and it seems like it's gone. Some of you have been promised and have been stolen from in areas of resource and finance. Some of you with regards to jobs and careers. Some of you with regards to relationships. You, 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 you thought the relationship would work and it didn't work. And all, you know, you've been stolen from. It wouldn't take long for us to create quite a list, I would imagine, in this room this morning of things we could put down that we feel like got stolen from us. 
Who stole that? Well, the enemy stole that. But here's the good news. If we catch the thief, he must restore sevenfold. And this is what I think. I think that if you've caught him and you begin to recognize that it was he who has stolen from you certain things, I think it's time to demand a sevenfold return based on the word of God, what he's taken from us. I think, so. I think that's the case. I really believe that. I mean, I'm just sitting down here. I mean, I'm, I'm just thinking about it. This has popped in my mind. I know, I won't give the whole scenario, but I know of a situation, Steve, in your life where by unrighteous means, great, a, a great sum of, of money was stolen, so to speak, because of things that weren't your fault. It was out of your control. Absolutely. It was stolen from you. It was stolen. Now, I know people were involved and we can look at people, but truth of the matter is we know who was behind the scenes of that particular thing. And you know what? This is what I believe. I believe if we got a revelation of that, that maybe maybe someone took a million, but God says if it's time to demand, we get seven million back. Seven million back. I want you to get seven million back because 10% of that comes to the house of God. So I'm believing with you, dude. Amen. You just wait. Once you get seven million, you wait and see how many friends you got. You wait. You just wait. Some of you had bad investments. Some of you had a bad purchase and, and, you, and you look back now and... and and, and it wasn't, maybe you could have done something better, but you know you got hijacked. You were taken advantage of. You lost something. I mean, we could go on and on. The key is, listen to now, this is what God began to speak to me about. You must, you must, everyone say, I must. You can't, now listen to me, you just can't sit there and say, well, that's great teaching, and then walk out and keep living with, with injustice. I've had people ask me before, they said, is there any justice? I've got some good news. I think I found how to get some justice. You got to place a judgment on the enemy's household. Have you ever heard, let me just give you an example. Have you ever heard or have you ever experienced or maybe put in place you had to do it yourself through the court system, something that is called a judgment? Maybe you had to put a mechanics lien and, and you went down to the RMC's office and you had, to, you had to fill out paperwork and you put a lien or the court puts a lien on people's property or things that they own. So when that piece of property is ever sold, the lien must be satisfied before the transaction can take place. And that's how a lot of people eventually get their money in a court of law when maybe someone's hiding it or they're, they're trying to find a way by which to access those funds that are rightfully theirs. So there are mechanics liens. They will, they will put a judgment sometimes for back child support. Um, there are all sorts of things that they can, the court can do in order to put this judgment on a title or, or, or on a household. So that when you sell it, the person who has the judgment on them must pay out of the proceeds in order to make you whole. Now, let, let, let me just say, this is not a railing accusation. You had your day in court. The court made a decision. The gavel was slapped. The judgment was placed on that. The court worked through whether there were false witnesses. They worked through all the justice and fairness issues. And they came to the conclusion that you were unrighteously taken advantage of. You were stolen from. And in order to make you whole, the judge pounds the gavel and he puts the lien on that particular household. Now, here's... Here's, that's how it works in the natural, but l let me read something to you. In John 16, it works that way spiritually too. 
I didn't get it. I mean, I've been, I've been preaching the gospel a long time, and I feel like this is new. If I knew it, I wasn't walking in it, but I'm getting it now. John chapter 16. I want to read something to you. I'm going to read several other verses here in just a minute. John 16, verse 7. It says this. Jesus is speaking. He says, Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I depart, I will send him to you. And when he has come, he will convict the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. Everyone say judgment. Of sin because they don't believe in me. Of righteousness because I go to my father and you see me no more. And then it says in verse 11, listen to this. Of judgment, listen, because the ruler of this world is judged. There is a judgment that has been placed on the enemy. Now, I started just thinking this through again, and God was talking to me, and that word helper, some of you have heard this Greek word. It's the Greek word parakletos, the paraclete. Paraclete literally translated means the one who stands alongside. But again, if you'll read through uh, your word wealth or any one of a number of Greek dictionaries, it will also be translated this, advocate, counselor. And it also says that it has the technical meaning of an attorney who appears in court for another's behalf. So I want you to think this through with me. Jesus says, it's to your advantage that I go away, because when I go away, Jesus says, I'll become the satisfaction. I'll become, I'll become the fullness of, of the satisfaction, the debt paying of everything that needs to happen in the cross. Jesus says, I will fulfill that. He becomes the total, complete, once and for all, absolute sin breaker, chain breaker, bondage breaker, devil defeater, enemy kicker. I mean, he, he has completed the whole thing. Colossians 2.15 says he has disarmed and spoiled all power and all principality. It is done. He says, but it's your, to your advantage that I send to you this Holy Spirit, this, this attorney. Because when this attorney comes... This attorney, it says, comes in order to place a judgment on this ruler, the ruler of this world. Now, I want you to go back. Proverbs 6.31, keep your finger back there. Proverbs 6.31 said this. It said, when he is found, when the thief is found, he must restore sevenfold and he may have to give up all the substance of his house. All the substance of his house. Now, Think about that as Jesus now begins to teach his disciples through the Gospels. In Matthew's Gospel, chapter 12, verse 29, listen to what he says here to his disciples. Well, first off, in verse 28, he says, But if I cast out demons by the Spirit of God, surely the kingdom of God has come upon you. Now listen, verse 29. Or how can one enter a strong man's house? And plunder his goods. Are you hearing what he's saying there? He, he's, saying, he's saying there's a power that exists, he says, in me. That will actually go into a strong man's house and get his goods. Are, now, are you thinking about Proverbs 6.31? Plunder his goods unless he first binds the strong man. And the question we've always said is, how do you bind the strong man? And, and of course... I always believed that it was by confession, you bind and you loose by the words you speak. And I'm not saying that's not the case. But I think the missing integral part of it is, as we're binding and loosing, we didn't realize that by our confession, we've got a place that lean on it. 
You see, we've been, we've been confessing and saying, and I'm not saying that's bad, but we've not put the lean on it. We've not said, Lord, we're putting the lean on this thing, and then he will plunder his house. It not only says it there, it says in Mark's Gospel, chapter 3, I'm just going to read very similar words, verse 27. He says, no one can enter a strong man's house and plunder his goods unless he first binds the strong man, and then he will plunder his house. And then finally, in Luke's Gospel, chapter 11... Verse 21. Again, you can write these down, or I believe they're on the screen overhead. Listen to this one. It says, when a strong man, fully armed, guards his own place, his goods are in peace. But when a stronger than he comes upon him and overcomes him, he takes from him all his armor in which he trusted and divides his spoils or divides his plunder. Now, this is what Jesus was beginning to say here. He was saying that the enemy has stolen things. The enemy has taken things. He's hijacked things from you. Think of that which I asked you to bring up earlier. It was the enemy. It wasn't God. It was the enemy that hijacked those things. And imagine now him hijacking it just like an ancient conqueror. And he takes it back to his house. And he goes and gets another one. And he takes it back. Can you imagine, not just the people of God, but imagine worldwide how many people he's stolen from. Can you imagine? I I mean, it's it's, it's mind-boggling. It's astronomical. And, And he seizes it and he takes it back to his house. And this is what Jesus says. Jesus says something must happen in order for him to be bound or for him to be legally tied in order that a judgment can be placed on that because if he steals from you, truth of the matter is for you to be made whole seven times of what he took has to come back. That's how you're made whole. You know why a court system does that? It's making a point. You don't do that anymore. You don't steal from these people anymore because if they figure out it's you, you'll lose seven times what you think you got. And I'll tell you what, that'll stop people from stealing from you, won't it? If I have to pay back seven times what it is I stole, I guarantee you I'd think twice before I stole. Especially if I was stealing from somebody who knew I was stealing from them. You say, well, how do you do this, Pastor? There's two things, real quick, and I'm done. Number one, you got to understand right now, of all the things you understand about the kingdom of God, understand that the kingdom of God has a court system. We all agree that there will be a day that we will stand before the judgment seat of Christ. We know that the Bible tells us there'll be a great white throne of judgment. All of us have been taught to some extent, or at least have pictured in our mind, that this will probably look somewhat like a courtroom where God is the judge. We've read where the Holy Spirit is called an attorney. We're told that Jesus' sacrifice cancels the debt of sin. I started just letting this twirl around in my mind and I began to realize that even faith, when we talk about faith in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1, it says, now faith is the substance of things hoped for. You've heard this taught before. What's that word substance mean? It means faith is the title or it is the deed to that which God has promised. Faith isn't just believing or hoping so, but faith is when you get a title or a deed in your heart, in your inner man, that what God has said is true. And whether you see it or not with your eyes at that particular moment, it's as true as if it's already there. Most of you in this room, I would suspect, or at least I hope is the case, have a deed or a title to heaven in your heart. If you don't, then you're in trouble. You need to get one. 
Because once you get that deed in your heart and you know that you know that you know that you know that you're saved, it doesn't matter that I'm not there yet. I'm there already as if I already was. Because I've got faith for that. I've been born again, renewed, changed, different. And I've got the deed to my inheritance in the ultimate kingdom. Well, it works that way in every area of life. Faith is the title or the deed. And then it goes on to say that evidence... It says it's faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. The word evidence is a courtroom term. It means just like a lawyer would bring up exhibit A. This is, this is plaintiff exhibit A or defense exhibit A. That's, that's the evidence of things hoped for. So you gotta understand that the kingdom of God is a court system and we've not accessed our rights in the court system. We've just kind of went along and we've not wanted to take the enemy to task, but there's a court system in the spiritual realm that you and I can go to and we don't have to represent ourselves. Here's the good news. The Holy Spirit is our attorney. Everything's been paid by the cross. It's a rigged court. It's rigged. Secondly, just two things. I'm just going to leave you with two things. By faith, you must place the judgment on the enemy's house. In other words, you would say, Holy Spirit, you're my attorney. The enemy has stolen from me. He has stolen from me with regards to my promise, my finance, my relationship. He has stolen from me with regards to my future. He has stolen from me with regards to career and with jobs, with family issues. He has stolen from me in this particular area. And Holy Ghost, I want you to know that today I've caught the thief. I know who stole this from me now. I understand the the thief, the enemy is the one. That stole, and today I've caught him. And I am requesting now, in Jesus' name, because of the absolute finality of the cross, the price has been paid, the bondage is broken, the debt canceled, everything reconciled, the resurrection has come with power, power to enforce behind it, that now his house is plundered, and what was stolen Right now, what was stolen? I place a le- I bind a legal right to seven times what he's stolen to come back into my household and into my life in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Why are you giving the devil a break? He ain't giving you one. He's not just trying to steal from you. He's trying to kill you. And we're thinking, well, can I really do that? I don't know if I should do that or not. I don't know. I'm, you know, I'm, you know, I may be thinking too highly of myself. <laughs> just keep being the punching bag then. You need to understand what God's done for you. And he's not done it just because you're all that and a bag of chips. He's done that because he glorifies himself in the sufficiency and the finality of the cross. It doesn't have much to do with you. It has everything to do with him. And he's transferring. That's why he says this. He says the wealth of the wicked is what? Laid up for the righteous. I'm beginning to understand why this is so. But we say, why hasn't it occurred? It's because it's time we said we are placing a lien on that stuff that's been stolen in his house. And it's time it came back to the people of God. We've got a world to win. We've got a harvest to reach. We've got things that we need. We need some resource to do that. We need relationships to do that. And listen to me right now. I want you to remember that the people that the enemy may have used to hijack you may not be the ones that God uses to return sevenfold to you. That's not what it's about. 
You say, well, I know this person and they stole from me and so they're going to give me back seven times. No, the enemy was the one using that person in order to steal from you. You're not going to get from that person. You're going to get it back from the enemy's house somewhere, some way, sometime. Listen to me. If you've gone through just relational issues and I know our land is just swept with divorces and all those kinds of things, you may never get the original person back in your life you may never get them back but i can tell you this you can get one back that's seven times better than the one you had you can do that maybe you got a car stolen maybe you got it doesn't mean you're gonna get seven cars but you may get one back that's seven times better than the one you had are you with me we got to start remembering that it's god who's allowing that house to be plundered and it's the enemy That you're plundering. It wasn't flesh and blood. It was the enemy. But it will be returned to you from all that the enemy has stolen. How many of you know right now that the wealth of the world is being laid up right now in in these incredible, you know, uh, uh, the market systems and and all the different stocks and, and bonds and all the things that money is laid up in? Well, I'm guaranteeing you that by and large, godly people do not run that stuff. I'm telling you right now, it's righteousness is not in all that stuff. But here's the good news. You begin to declare your rightful return to be made whole based on what was stolen from you. That's the wealth of the wicked is being laid up for the righteous. Hallelujah. We've got to start putting that lean down. Now, I started thinking about this. I've got to stop. I started really thinking about this and I started going through the years. And I started thinking about all the things that the enemy, I feel like, that were stolen. You may not agree. I don't really care. It's not about what you think. It's about what I believe the enemy stole. And I started picturing some things. And in my mind, listen, I mean, just just bear with me for just a minute. I'm going to illustrate some things in my life. I can remember years ago, and I'll be delicate with this, but years ago, I can remember when I was at a place here locally, that, that an usher came up after service on, on a white card and handed to me what the attendance was for that particular day. And I can remember looking at that white card and seeing the number 546. I remember that. I don't know why. They, they handed me white cards every Sunday. And I don't know why I don't remember all the other white cards that got, that got handed to me, but I remember that white card. But all of a sudden, the Lord just quickened in my heart. And he said, it is now time to put a lien on the enemy's house and those that he has bound. And understand that a sevenfold return in order to cause you to be whole means that there's going to come a day that someone has to hand you a card that says 3,822. That's what binding the strong man is about. It's just not binding them just to keep them from, you know... I mean, we think binding the strong man is just sort of like tying his arms up or maybe his legs too. And it just keeps him from doing anything. You need to understand what binds, you know what binds up a piece of property? Put a judgment on it. You know what, bind, you know what binds up anything? You, you, put a, you put a judgment or a lien on that thing and I guarantee you, you'll bind that thing square up. I started thinking about, I remember, listen to this. I remember one year. This is years, this is years ago. Now, there was one year that $100,000 was released in order to help 
missions and missionaries, $100,000. Hadn't been able to do that in years, not even 100000 But that just quickened in my spirit. I thought to myself, doggone it. There's $700,000 that needs to come back to make me to be whole in order to release that into the harvest field. $700,000 just for the mission field. Just for the mission field. I said just for the mission field. What's been stolen from you? What's been taken? What's been unrighteously seized? I believe that this morning here in the house of God, we can go to the courts of our Lord. And with the promises of God being sure, the Holy Spirit being our attorney, Jesus having rigged the system and his dad sitting on the bench, you and I can call back seven times that which has been stolen. I don't know if that interests you, but it interests me. And it's time we began to see that take place. I believe, I believe that's why God's causing revelation to come. He says, now you can do this righteously. Some of us, I guarantee you, there's, I, I'm not saying Steve would do this, but there might have been a day, I don't believe he'd do that today. But if, if all of a sudden seven million just got, woo-wee, <laughs> you'd be down, boy. It's, let me see the next boat. Let me see this. And, and again, those things are wonderful to have. But the key is, I, I, I'd be willing to bet now, when seven million comes to this man's house, Yes, you'll be blessed and you'll enjoy it. You sure will. See, that's why God's God's working on us. He's getting us ready. He's making us prepared. We're not just slapping things on so we can build bigger barns. We're slapping things on to get the work of the harvest done. That's what I want. He's not giving you... Listen, listen to this. I don't know if you ever thought this. He's not giving you a great relationship or restoring family or doing all those things just so you can personally be at peace, although you'll enjoy that. He's doing that so you can get in the harvest field without the pressures of the family. And you'll know it's whole and it's good and it's safe and you can get back into the harvest field. Do you hear what I'm saying? That's why he's restoring. Our judgment isn't just to be greedy. Our judgment is to get back in the harvest, to get back to our purpose, to get back to winning a world. To get back to being planet shakers. To get back to that. We're just, not, we're just not doing it just so we can have stuff. We're doing it so we can be profitable in the earth. That's why God gave Abraham all the bucks he gave Abraham. Because he knew in Abraham's heart when he pointed him at the sky. And he said, so shall your seed be. He saw in Abraham the ability to say, praise God, I can finance the whole deal. And was willing to do it. Are you? Because I guarantee you, he's ready to drop the gavel on that lean if, if, you're, if you're ready to function in all those precepts. I sure am. And I think if we did it together, we'd be amazed what God would do with us as a people. Are you ready to get back what the enemy took? I'm ready to get it back. I'm, ty- I really, I, I'm kind of irritated. I'm just kind of irritated that it's, it's taken this long to kind of wake up. But Katie, bar the door. I'm awake. You watch it. When the people of God get awake, you watch out. Right now, most of them are sleepy. Can't get them up for Sunday morning. Most of them are just, don't have to be there today. Yep, you don't. You don't have to be there at all. But there's some folks getting awake. And they're going to they're gonna get back and be restored completely. Not just where you were, but seven times better. Stand with me, will you?
Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Hallelujah. Lord, I pray right now in the name of Jesus. And Holy Spirit, you right now begin to move in this place, in your people's spirits and lives. And Lord, I pray that you would awaken them at this moment. And Lord, I understand they may chew on some things, they may consider, but Lord, I pray that revelation would come to them. Revelation may have come to you in Jesus' name. That you will no longer just be off on the sidelines bemoaning the injustice, but that you would arise and see who it is. See who the thief really is. And take him to court. And Lord, in your court, we have a leg up. Because we're reconciled with you. We've received Jesus. And he is everything. He is everything. Holy Spirit, I ask you to come now as the attorney. Come now as that advocate right now. Because we're fixing to go and to bind the strong man and we're going to plunder his house before this morning's over. Lord, we're going to call back seven times that which he has stolen from us. And Lord, I know it is vast and varied in this household this morning as to what the enemy has connived and manipulated and intimidated and dominated and speculated in people's hearts and minds and they have been rendered impotent but we break those weapons over them in the name of Jesus and we declare that there will be an arising in the house of God and an arising in the people of God and I pray right now in Jesus name that that exceeding great army will begin to come forth in Jesus name and they won't be afraid Lord of your court system they won't be afraid Lord in any way, shape, or form as to what's before them, but they will rightfully and righteously declare that which is theirs, not for their own selfish, greedy consumption, but Lord, you're giving us seven times back in order that we might, we might rub it in the nose of the enemy by doing the work of the harvest. Setting people free. Helping them, Lord. Pointing them to the cross. Doing the gospel. Lord, right now, I pray that you would cause that authority to rise up in us, to put that lean down in Jesus' name. You know what, there's a day, listen to me, I, I know some of you will walk out of here and you'll probably somewhere want to question my motives and I can't stop you from doing whatever you do. But I can tell you this, I know, I know, I know the grinder my motives have been through. And I'm here to tell you there was a day that there was a million three at my disposal to do the work of the, of the gospel. I'm just here to tell you seven times is 9.1 million to do the work of the gospel. And I'm sorry if you say, well, that's a lot of money. Yeah, it is. Because we've got a worldwide harvest going on. We've got, we got to quit being afraid of the zeros. Quit being afraid to write them down and, and believing God and trusting Him. And God wants to call some of you to be millionaires, but you can't, you can't at this moment comprehend any more zeros. You've got to get some zero in your spirit. God wants to give you that, not for your own consumption, but for his purposes. Help us, Lord. Help us, Lord. Help us, Lord. I tell you what I'd love to do someday. I'm just, I'm, if God were to bless in some way, I would love this much to, to do what I do absolutely for free. And not only that, I tell you what I'm believing for, that God's going to enlarge our household to where I'm going to pay legacy back every dime they ever sowed into me. You say, really? Yeah, really. 
really, I believe God's going to do something so massive that I can look back and say, thank you, sweet people, for all that you've done through the years. And now here you go. Take it, because there's more than enough. More than enough. Then we'll let the world gawk at that. Amen. I mean, didn't a time they gawked at things like that? Well, it can happen. I believe it. If you're, ready, if you're ready to put a lien on the enemy's house, I mean, really, if you're ready to put a lien on his house, I want you to come down here. We're going to do that right now. We're going to lay hold in a court system of what's rightfully ours, and we're going to put a lien on the enemy's house. I'll tell you, he's stolen some things, hadn't he? But you're getting it back seven times. I'm telling you right now, seven times he's stolen some things. We're going we're gonna, to we're gonna call these things back. If there's not enough room, fill an aisle then. But move, move from where you are saying, I am moving, I am moving out of my passive state and I am moving back into actively. Some of you, you love a good fight. Well, I'm giving you one right now, a good court battle, one that you're going to win in Jesus name, in Jesus name. Thank you, Lord. Seven times. Can you believe that? Seven times. That's what it says that he must restore. Come on now, break off that false humility and say, well, whatever you want to do, Lord. No, the Lord said what he wants to do seven times. That's how he makes you whole. Well, I hope that, I hope so. No, that's what he says. That's what he will do. You've got to get some authority back. I understand we don't want you to be arrogant, but we want you to be confident in him. And we're going to do that right now. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord, right now. I want everyone just to repeat after me, say, in Jesus' name. I stand at this place as if I were in a courtroom. Holy Ghost, you are my advocate and you are my attorney. I've been stolen from, but I've caught the thief. I know his name. His name is Satan and his cohorts. I brought him to court and declare upon him a judgment to his household based on your word that I have a right to put a lien on his household. I declare on the basis of Jesus and his righteousness and his work, not mine, but his, I declare that I desire to be whole and to be given a recompense from all that was taken, I declare a sevenfold return from all that was stolen in Jesus' name. I place that lien as a binder upon the enemy. He can do no more until he releases that which is rightfully mine. I believe, Holy Spirit, you are pleading my cause. You win all your cases. And I thank you today that I'm a winner in this courtroom. I hear the gavel being put on the bench as God the Father says settled in Jesus' name. I anticipate, I expect, I await seven times. I said seven times. Back to me. That I might be complete. And I promise, as it comes to me, I'll sow it in the kingdom. I thank you, Lord. I've been awakened to my rights 
as a child of God. I stand in it in Jesus' name. Amen. So be. you stand in faith for that and you'll knock that silly stuff off that the enemy does with you try it always you know what he's for some of you he's just like he's always nipping at the edges stealing at the edges it's kind of stealing you just at the edge you know it's like leaving a rake in the yard and you get up the next morning and the rake's gone just kind of, it it's not that you can't go buy another rake it's just irritating that you have to and he just kind of steals at the edges you stand in faith on this stuff and he'll quit stealing rakes because he don't want to give seven more back to you i mean i'm just telling you you can knock off a lot of that little piddly stuff the enemy does by standing and saying, you take what you want, enemy, but I'm getting seven times back. So don't you be a fool. I know who you are. I mean, you're deceived, but I just wouldn't be that deceived. I mean, I'm just telling you, God's bringing it back to his people in his house. He's bringing it back. He's bringing it back seven times. Don't, I mean, I'm not saying you can't give a praise report, but you know where I am? I'm no longer saying just because I'm made whole from what I lost, but until seven times comes back, then God's in. Are you with me? I mean, we're, we're so happy just, you know, if the car breaks down and, and someone comes along and helps us, you know, buys us a $52 belt on it. Oh, praise you, Jesus. No, 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 we need a whole overhaul on the engine. Someone, I'm just telling you, it's time we started seeing that. And the enemy gets away with that trash all the time. And it's time it stopped. It's time it stopped. In every area of life, it's time we believed him for seven times. That's, complete, that's what seven means. Seven means completely made whole. That's how God does it. He makes you whole. When you get seven times back from what you've lost, you know what you begin to do? You forget about the loss. Sometimes when all we get back is what we've lost, we're still irritated that we lost it, in, in, aren't we? I'm glad I got it back, but it still irritates me that I lost it. I'm just, I'm still mad, but I got it back. Uh, hallelujah. Well, once you get it back seven times, it's like you quit, you just forget about that. I'm whole. I'm complete. That, that's just, that just, it's mind boggling. That's why he says that he can do exceedingly and abundantly more than you could ask or think. Amen is right. So, Father, right now, we just send those documents now to the heavenly RMC office and say, let it be applied right now. As we begin to plunder and take back that which the strong man had taken away, we, we dig back in, Lord, and say, let it come. It's starting to come right now in Jesus' name. Lord, something happened in the house this morning that's bringing that back. Lord, I pray right now that people, these people right here that are standing, believing you, oh God, I pray right now that they'll see with their very own eyes, Lord, the coming back of that which was lost, the restoration of all that was taken. Lord, let it, let it be seen by their eyes so that they may marvel at the greatness of their God. And Lord, keep us on target, keep us on track, I pray. Lord, bless your people, really. I, I want them to be blessed because you've called us to do some amazing things. And Lord, we know that resource is coming back in order that it can be accomplished. And so, Lord, we thank you that it is done, it is sealed. And as I mentioned, God, you have said, court adjourned. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' mighty name. Amen and amen. Praise the name of the Lord.
Hallelujah. Come on now, before you go, make sure you hug each other, love each other, look someone in the eye, really encourage them, saying, sevenfold, can you believe that? Sevenfold is coming my direction. Yours too. Hallelujah. You are released. God bless you.